welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman with you, Alan Blackman, uh, Penny Ashton with me today. Now, State Highway 16 on the Northwestern Motorway, this is Auckland. The crash is blocking the left eastbound lane on State Highway 16 between St Luke's Road and Newton Road. Merge to the right with care to pass and expect delays until clear. That again, a crash is blocking the left eastbound lane, State Highway 16 on the Northwestern. The clean car discount policy is being tweaked. Transport Minister Michael Wood saying it's essential for the scheme's sustainability. He said the EV update was so successful, uh, the, this policy, that this sort of uptake wasn't expected until 2027. More than 100,000 clean car discount rebates have been paid out since 2021. So that means a cut to rebates, pay, rebates, rebates paid out in the scheme and a hike to fees, including fees charged to ute buyers. So the rebate paid out on new EVs would reduce from $8,625 to $7,015, while it would increase from 3450 to 3507 for used imports. National dubs at the ute tax, tens of billions of dollars in subsidies has been handed out to wealthy people buying Teslas said National Party Transport Spokesperson Simeon Brown. Before we go to um, uh, our, um, uh, our guest, we have a builder on the line. His name's Rick. Welcome, Rick. Hello. Good to have you on, Rick. And I understand you bought a Tesla about six weeks ago. Correct, yes. And what, what did you replace it with? Uh, what replaced it? I replaced it with a uh, typical um, diesel um, Holden ute that uh, most builders would have. Okay, so you went from Ute to Tesla. Why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? My position means that I don't require a big vehicle, but primarily because the scientists are telling us that, uh, hey, uh, we're facing a climate crisis. Um, And so I had to ask myself, what can I do about it? And this is a a step that this is something that I could do. What sort of interest do you get around your, your builder friends and colleagues there, Rick, when uh, you rock up, not with your Ute, <laughs> but with your Tesla, Rick? When I initially um, expressed the view that I was going to buy one, I was ridiculed immensely. As soon as I've bought it, as soon as I've bought it, since I've bought it, everybody's, oh, what? <laughs> no, That's a sexy that. car. <laughs> okay, well, Rick. Uh, but, Hey, I, I'm, I'm a builder. I'm a practical person. It does everything I need to do. Economically, it's, it's ridiculously sensible. Mm-hmm. Environmentally, um, we just can't keep on going as we were. So I've, I've made the decision to, uh, uh, you know, do something about it. Simple as that. Yeah. Be honest, Rick. Do you miss your diesel ute? No. No. No, the performance of the Tesla, um, far superior to any other vehicle I've driven. Wow. wow. Gosh. Okay, so this is something, Rick, that you would like to see others uh, get into. The fuller laugh to your colleagues, but when they saw it, uh, they said, oh, okay. Um, would you like to make this maybe a little bit more realisable and affordable for others to get into it? I think we have to. Amen. Yep. Just, you know, as simple as that, I just don't think we can continue burning fossil fuels and sort of like, um, hey, Hey, I'd love to be wrong, but the scientists are telling us we're heading to, you know, a climatic, a, a, a climate uh, crisis. Um, I'm doing something about it. Simple as that. 
Great. Good on you. Yeah, okay, Rick, yeah. um, okay. Th- thanks for joining the panel, mate. Yeah, good to have you on. So that's Rick. He's a builder, and about six weeks ago, he traded in his uh, diesel ute there uh, for a Tesla. With us now is uh, Richard Edwards. He's the managing editor of Auto Talk. Uh, kia ora, Richard. Um, afternoon. 20%. Of all new passenger car sales were electric in 2022. And I was just thinking to myself, that is quite a number, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's electrified. I mean, it's, it's certainly seen that, uh, you know, electric vehicles have been rising in popularity. We've had some new arrivals in the scene last year that have really appealed to people. Things like the Tesla Model Y arrived, and that's just been a massive success. The BYD Addo 3. Uh, and, uh, yeah, a whole pile of companies pushing more electric vehicles, more hybrids. Uh, yeah, it's been more of a success, I think, than even the government hoped it would be. Okay, so that's what I brought you on because uh, you're the editor of Auto Talk. Um, if you don't know, no one does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think of this fee-bait scheme? Is it fair for all? Is it um, uh, just for the wealthy who want their Teslas? What is it? Look, I guess I, I sit in an interesting position in that I'm the editor of Auto Talk, but I'm also the editor of an electric vehicle magazine. So as with my electric vehicle handle, I think it's I think it's good. It's great to see more electric vehicles on the road. I bought a couple myself, including one which was subject to the uh, to the fee bait. As someone who's worked in the industry, it, it politically is actually a, a quite a mess, and the system right. was starting to find some feet, and they've played with it in some very unfortunate ways that are going to have some quite unfortunate consequences, particularly when the way they've, you know, tweaking the electric vehicle subsidy is one thing, uh, but in the way they've played around the middle, they've shifted that band of cars that don't receive a, a subsidy or a fee, uh, and that was, uh, uh, it's moved it down into the area occupied by hybrids. So a whole pile of people, thousands of people, have gone out in recent months and ordered uh, hybrid vehicles, uh, thinking they're doing the absolute right thing, They've been waiting for their cars to arrive because, of course, there's, you know, has been since COVID shifting and production delays. They're now going to be uh, sitting uh, waiting for cars that they're not going to get a rebate on uh, because the government's given such a short uh, timeline for this to come in. And I was just speaking to Neeraj Lala, the uh, CEO of Toyota New Zealand. The cost to his customers from this being shifted in this way on a relatively short timeline is going to be tens of millions of dollars. And that's cost not to Toyota, that's cost to Toyota customers, that's businesses and everyday New Zealanders. And that's before you look at the way the rises in the uh, penalties on the Utes, which are, they've been overlooked by a lot of people today. They are really dramatic. They are doubled. The cost on something like a, an average Ranger or a Hilux is going up to nearly or sometimes over $5,000 a vehicle. It's a lot of money. Oh, okay. So that's pretty significant, what you've just said right there. Um, Customers will be in the can for millions of dollars because of this quick change. Yeah, and like I do a lot of driving. Like I drive eight hours, I drive like that. So an EV would be a bit tricky for me, but a hybrid would make the most sense. So to hear that they've done that for people that have, you know, gone for hybrids. that And to me that just feels so, I mean, re-tinkering any of it, like taking away the... The, what was it, the clunker, whatever that one is, you know, like, because not everyone can afford it. Clunkers for cash. Yeah, like, to me, to, to try and encourage people into whatever the most low-emitting um, vehicle that they can afford was a really good thing to do. So for them taking that away, I think, is a real shame. I mean, I think, yes, I think we all need to look to this, to the future, because it's all well and good for us to keep complaining about things, but the planet is drowning, so we need to do something. Stay there, Richard. Let's bring Ellen in. <clears throat> yeah, um, Richard, you probably know, well, you do know more about this than I do, but um, I've got a question about sort of, you know, three or four years down the track with these EVs. What's what's the actual lifetimes of the batteries in these things? I mean, do they need to be replaced, or does, no, does not, anybody not, even know? 
News, we've got a bit of a, a perception out there because of the Nissan lease on the, road, on the road that these batteries have a relatively short life because people are always hearing about someone's bold Nissan Leaf and it's going down in battery condition. Yeah. Those cars now are very old. They're, they're 10, 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, the batteries in those are older technology. They don't last that long. Uh, right. If you look at the modern cars coming in, most of the new EVs coming into New Zealand have what's called an LFP battery or a, a, a lithium-ion uh, uh, phosphate battery, yep. uh, and they are very, very durable. Um, mm-hmm. They last a long time. If I take uh, one of my cars, it's got a seven or an eight-year warranty on the battery, cool. but it loses more than 20 to 30% capacity in that time, then they'll replace the battery. Uh, now, wow. a company's not going to sell a product that's going to have to live up to that in eight or, eight or so years' time yep. uh, if they don't think it can do it. So mm-hmm. in, the ca- in the case of a lot of these cars coming on now, the battery is going to last as long as the body of the car will. Um, okay. And... Sure, there's a lot of discussion about what do you do with those end-of-life batteries. Yeah. There's yes. huge demand for those batteries now. Uh, you can't buy a Nissan Leaf for under $5,000, no matter how bad a condition it's in, because people want the batteries. Uh, so right. that's not really a big issue at this stage. I right. didn't know that. Oh, that. That's very interesting information because that is often the, no, the number one question that people want yeah. to know. Yeah. Yeah. This is, there's a lot of response, Richard, here. Here's one. Uh, I'm a farmer. My diesel truck did 3k last year my evs to 25k i will get an ev truck as soon as possible uh i actually rode in because i was on a holiday in rotorua richard about a year ago and the person next to me he was a truck driver and he said check out my articulated and it just so happened to be one of the largest ev trucks in new zealand i couldn't believe it that this was electric right Cool. They, yeah, they, electric makes a lot of sense for some of these things, particularly the, the short-run stuff. I mean, there's certainly options that are needed for longer-run trucking, and hydrogen could play a role there. But uh, at this stage, uh, the um, uh, the electric trucks are starting to If there's another area of this uh, change to the system, which I think really needs to be looked at and has been looked over, and, and it's actually caused some consternation uh I think within the, particularly the used import community in regards to Carmel Cipollone's comments this morning about getting more alternatives into, into driving things. There's a sector of the market that's been overlooked, and that is um, lower-income families in Auckland who have more than five people, very common in, in South Auckland, the combined families or larger families. Uh, the ability to buy a vehicle with more than five seats from the used import market uh, without having to pay a significant fee bait has mm. been pretty much wiped away with this change. Mm. There are... Virtually no, uh, even hybrid MPVs now are above the line and are going to actually attract a lot of the time fees. Uh, so those ca- those families are really going to suffer and they're generally, I think, going to be forced into smaller cars that don't really meet their needs. So this is unfair. Uh, it's a really unfortunate side effect. Well, mm. It seems crazy that they're targeting the, the hybrids. I can't understand that. I mean, yeah. surely the hybrids are one step away from the EVs, exactly. you know, and it's got to be better for the yeah. environment. It just yeah. has to be any type of hybrid. And I just wish, I wish they'd bring in a rebate like they have overseas in Paris and London on e-bikes, you know, like, so, because getting people okay. off for those short trips onto their uh, cycleways, my husband cycles two and a half hours a day to and from work on his e-bike, and it's been phenomenal. Hmm. So that would be something that's encouraged. Like, I think as in Paris, they've just offered 4,000 euros right. as a rebate to cool. get an e-bike. Richard, Jeez. it's been great having you on the panel. You've explained a lot today, so uh, thanks uh, very much. No problem at all. Uh, yeah, thank God for Rick. So good to hear someone talking uh, since about 
this, uh, Wallace. I'm disappointed that out of three people, none of you asked the builder where he puts his tools <laughs> in his Tesla. Um, the panel, RNZ National, 19 He said he doesn't need four. one, so we just assumed that he yeah. was telling the truth. Exactly. Mm. A new study shows that many single parents face ongoing discrimination and stigma in their day-to-day lives. Three and a half thousand sole parents were surveyed for the study and found that 67% of low-income single mothers had been treated unfairly or discriminated against. 32% said this had been at the hands of work and income. The parents also reported discrimination by landlords, employers, real estate agents and schools. It's quite a wide-ranging survey, this. And for more, we have the Project Gender's Angela Meyer with us. Kia ora, Angela. Kia ora. Tell us more about this. Quite, ex- quite interesting reading, quite extraordinary, actually. Why do you think sole parents still face this type of discrimination? Well, it's interesting, Wallace. It's 50 years ago this year since the DPB was introduced. And when we started this project, um, we certainly didn't expect to see the same level of stigma that is still um, very much present in our single parent whānau or against our single parent whānau. So we went out and, you know, we did new primary research and we also worked with um, lots of different stakeholders and consulted with them and workshopped um, solutions. And there are 82 recommendations in our um, report. And um, the really key things that came out for us were around um, the stigma issue, um, the need for support, and also this desperate need for respect in um, the mana of single parents as well. And speaking of mana, I guess there's, I'll throw it up into the panel, one thing that really stood out for me, Angela, uh, more than half of single mums in the report said they avoided dating or entering a relationship because their benefit, uh, quoting, single parents are terrified of even having somebody over because it may be construed as them beginning a relationship, then your benefit gets cut. Absolutely. This is something that we heard time and time again from our single parents. And what, you know, like, there's, there's so many things we need to sort of unpack with that statement. But one of the things that was really surprising to us is that if if someone has someone stay over, you know, um, several nights a week or, you know, more than three nights, we are seeing that that can automatically chop off their benefit. Now, this seems incredible to um, us in the you know, in 2023, where suddenly if a man, and in most cases it is a man, is suddenly now re- financially responsible, not only for the woman, but her, her children. And so we heard lots and lots of people saying, look, we don't even go near that. Um, we are investigated. We're not, um, our voices aren't heard. And what that then means is that we see so many single parents who are doing this incredibly difficult job are left um, lonely, they're left unable to you know, forge those um, connections, which we all need as humans. Yeah, I, that's the thing that really jumped out to me and I was sort of Googling around it and I just came up to story after story after story like the last five years. Emma mm-hmm. can't find somebody because she's not allowed to and just so this has just come up time and time and time again. And it's just like my husband and I, we've been together for 14 years and we still don't share finances. So, you know, we don't, we, we, we have a, a flat account, as it were, even though we own a house. I still call it the flat account. Um, we have a flat account and we put things into it that way, but we don't combine our finances, you know. And, like, I had a flatmate for eight years. Was she, like, you know, as far as that's concerned, yeah. that's a relationship. I find it, like, what person, yeah, after you've just started going out with someone and now can you please pay for my children? Mm, mm. It's just insane. Stay there, Angela. Let's bring in. 
Um, yeah, it does. That does seem a little bit crazy. And the other thing that was reported in this was the fact that um, a lot of single parents want to work, but that it's the cost of childcare that um, just really stops them being able to do that. And you know, childcare is ridiculously expensive. It just it just seems. And um, I mean, the right to work is sort of a fundamental human right, surely. So um, I can and and you know, as you said, this discrimination thing—it's nothing new, sadly. Yeah. And 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 as you said. Shit, 50 years ago, you'd think it'd be gone by now. So societal of attitudes the have changed, 82 but... recommenda- recommendations for change, what are a couple of the more urgent changes, in your opinion, that need to happen, Angela? Yeah, so what we've done, um, Wallace, is actually, you know, we've, we've taken those key themes. So there were eight key themes that came out of our, um, out of our over 3,500 people who took our survey and were involved in the focus groups around the Motu. And what we heard really clearly um, from both the stakeholders in the sector and single parents was, number one is to celebrate us. So p- promoting really positive narratives of single parents um, within the media and the community and, and w- what we were essentially asking for there is um, a multidisciplinary, multi-year campaign that is around advocacy, but also changes the narrative. So at our launch this morning, we had so many people come up to and say, actually, I, I was in a single, you know, I'm a child of a single parent family, or I'm a single parent. And it was almost like sort of um, confessing this and, and having created a space for people to feel safe to actually talk about this. So it's actually really reframing what we think of as family or as whānau and, and being much more positive for the, um, for the incredible contribution that our single parents make to our Here's society. one. It's the, just the straight cost. I was reading uh, one, one, one focus group participant told the researchers, there's the working for families threshold where a family can earn about 130k a year and still be eligible. I lost it at 75k. And my house cost me nearly $500 a week, and it's still the same costs. It doesn't cost an extra 75 k a year to feed one more adult. So um, just the financial disparity is quite something. Yeah, we definitely saw that um, in one of the, you know, as one of our key themes was that access toward financial services is also really, really tricky for single parents. So that means that our single parents are unable to... Um, insure their cars, for example, or get contents insurance, or even be able to pay into a KiwiSaver account, either for themselves or for their tamariki. So what that also means, you know, in the long term, is that we've got, you know, we're getting intergenerational poverty setting in here because we our single parents are just not able to get the break that they need to be able to fi- be financially secure. And yeah, final point, well, It's depressing because like, I did a, a Sense and Sensibility adaptation at the Court Theatre this year and it's the same. That is mm. a widowed woman in 1811 facing the same sort of rubbish, the same sort of stigma and stuff and you just think that's 200 years ago. Like, come on. And we just need to stop vilifying these people and realising also, so, you know, there's so much abuse involved in these relationships as well and staying with people because you're scared of being alone mm-hmm. um, because they're abusing you but you still stay with them or, you know, or staying with somebody who's abusing because then they'll report you for having a relationship. All this sort of stuff is just yeah. horrendous. Um, Angela, kia Thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. That's Angela Meyer from Project Gender. Who grew up in a single um, parent Household, why don't you get in touch with me via email, the panel at rnz.co.nz? 
What were your experiences? How was it? Let's bunch them together and talk about it later in the week. The other thing is what you covered a couple of weeks ago, talking about the fact that benefit fraud is under the Crimes Act, you know, as opposed to tax evasion, which is in the Tax Administration Act. Wasn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. Lisa Marriott. Professor I listened Lisa to Marriott. that. Like yeah. $24 million in benefit fraud, but $1.2 billion in tax evasion. Who grew up in a single-parent household Email me. Um, quite, it just so happens that um, we've got a, quite a few Ute lovers that listen to the panel. <laughs> who, who knew? Um, I work in construction, and everybody drives Utes that are provided by the company as part of the contract. For many, a car would be fine, maybe most of them. They tell me that IRD automatically considers Utes to be work vehicles. But if a person's contract includes a car, there's more justification required to avoid fringe benefit tax. Yeah. How about that? Right. And it's hard to stick those sheets of jibs on top of a Tesla. Yeah, although yes. some, some yeah. were saying that ignorant person who said about the uh, tools, uh, uh, easy, uh, the tools go in the front. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes, you need to put the seatbelt on. These are too yeah. heavy. Yeah. All right. Now, <clears throat> I want to bring this up because something interesting happened yesterday. I walked into the office and everyone, all five colleagues around me, guess what they were doing? They were standing at their desks, standing desks. And I thought, is this a new rule? Have I missed a staff email? Because I can tell you something, I'm not doing it. I wanted to get the panellist's response. Why do people stand? What's the rationale? I've even heard of treadmill desks. And guess what I have just received? You wouldn't believe it. From the famous contemporary New Zealand artists, one of the more well-known artists, Dick Frizzell has got a picture of himself standing at his easel, painting another masterpiece. There you go. Uh, Looking very thin. I mean, yeah. not thin, but trim, healthy. But, <laughs> but that's different. Why? That's different. Why is it different? Because it's an easel. But you create and masterpieces on the radio every day, Wallace. You could be standing oh, up and doing it at the down. same time. Oh. Thank you, Penny. Even but though we're sitting down now. But I would yeah. never stand at a desk. Well, do you know what? Because I couldn't concentrate. You, think, you, you can. You're, you, thinking you, about, you're thinking about your knees. I'm here to, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> think about your knees. If you're standing up, you're going to start doing other things. No, I don't your know. your knees. Oh, your knees. I thought you meant your needs. Um, <laughs> so I have gotten a little bit of nerve pain, which has been very annoying. Um, and it got worse when I was sitting. So, and I, you know, I, when I, I, I had a play to write. I'd just written my Shakespeare Tempestuous play. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do? You know, and so I bought, and I love the person that came up with this name could take the day off, a Descalator. <laughs> it was a Descalator from Mighty Ape for like 150 bucks, And it's like an ironing board. And I put it on top of my desk and it goes up and down. And so I can stand sometimes and then sit other times. And then I looked into the statistics and my God, listen to this. So in a review of 18 studies um, with a participation of nearly 800,000 people, they went all across these studies and discovered that there is a 49% greater risk of dying early if you sit at your desk. I don't believe it. Don't it's believe true. It's, oh. it's no, true. No, I've seen it, I've It's seen better for your other... heart disease and no, diabetes. That's rubbish. It's I've seen not. other stats <laughs> that... Um, we get you... an email saying that we have to say what we say is true, and if, you are just yeah. saying it's rubbish. No, so that if, is not true, so you have to get your own here's, email. Here's what you need to know. If you want uh, great uh, heart benefits, you go for a walk. Don't stand at your desk. Ellen. Yeah, I, uh, I, I really haven't got an opinion on this. I, I sit, basically, but yeah, I do see these standing but you ones. But teach as well. I, I, I do teach, but then I'm just, walk, no, I don't stand. I, I walk around. Yeah. I, I'm, I guess I'm what I'm trying to say so. is that what, when did we as a society 
decide to buy into such stupid fads? Because it's massively well evidenced it's by just science. Ridiculous. It's not. It's not. It is. So if you stand for 180 minutes after lunch, it reduces your blood sugar spike by 43. percent I come with statistics. Doesn't that give you varicose veins though? I thought. Yeah. Potentially. Potentially. Yeah, but oh, see. But, see? And I tell you so, what, with writing my play, it was great because I was like, and I was like gesticulating around as if I was performing it. I actually found it quite useful. Yeah, okay. I see you're moving then. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. You're on the panel. Standing. It burns uh, more calories. It's better for you. You live longer. All of us sitting. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs>